You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. With me today is Nishling Governor, Portfolio Manager at Citadel, and he kindly sent me a piece that says the following, how to tell if we are in the midst of a market bubble, examining the stock market and the true worth of financial assets. Nishling, it is so, so pertinent at the moment, given what's going on with Reddit and all sorts of other platforms and people ganging up. They like to think they're ganging up on hedge funds and certain stocks going through the roof. But as a broader theme, are we in a bubble, do you think? Yeah, it's exactly the question that we try and answer every day. But but if I can be frank, the reason we I put out the article was I was getting so tired of, of hearing the same rhetoric relating to the fact that the market is at an all-time high, relating to the fact that we have been through a COVID-19 pandemic, and talking about the market in relation to itself. And it almost seemed, non- seemed nonsensical to me because, if anything, we should be looking to the future rather than to the past. Um, And that's why I sort of wrote an article that tried to format how you would go about thinking about the value of any asset. I relate it back to property, but it's it's bigger than that. It's how do you think about the prospects of any company, if you're talking about stocks, and you can do it for any other asset too, in the context of its future? I suppose the present, the past and the future are all interlinked and we have to look at the past and we've seen these things before, haven't we? We've seen these mini bubbles before and these maxi bubbles before. How do you look back and say, well, in fact, what I'm seeing right now is just something that I've always, I've always known about from the past and it will, it will pass. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, sure. I think we can use this pandemic as a perfect example because when we were in the worst part of March last year, from a stock market perspective at least, um, we tried to think about what is the fair value of equities specifically. And stocks at that stage had created the S&P 500 was sitting at 2,200 points, give or take. Yes. And we were sitting there going, what is the fair value of this thing? Has, has the market sold off too much? Is it fair? And we didn't actually look at the past at all. We looked forward and we went, well, clearly, Every company that we try and assess right now is going to have a loss in terms of earnings in 2020 based on the pandemic. Some companies are going to fare better. Some companies are going to do worse. Also, we know that the virus itself and the the prevalence of lockdowns and things were going to pass, whether because we went through the waves and developed herd immunity or because we were going to get a vaccine. So we started to think about post this pandemic, if a company has lost earnings, how much of that can they expect to recover because economies come back online? And all of a sudden, the questions we were therefore asking ourselves were related to current events and the prospects going forward. It wasn't a market punditry assessment of, is the PE too high? It was very much a, hey, what's happening on the ground right now? And what does it mean for the future value of companies in particular, but any asset? Okay, you have to look at that. You say to me um, in your piece, investment professionals defer to a process known as discounted cash flow, and you go into all sorts of other technical issues. But on the other hand, I'd like you to just bring it back a little bit and say, what about the emotion and the the herd behavior that is going on at the moment? And how do you bring that into the equation? Yeah, so that, that that's multifaceted. There's sort of three prongs to it for me. The first one is... A typical person in their economy, I'm talking about just an everyday person, sees businesses closing around them, restaurants doing poorly, them struggling to work, whether it be at home. 
And then they see a stock market at an all-time high, and it seems like a massive disconnect. I think the first thing is the stock market has moved on so far from the traditional economy that we need to be able to understand that. So the likes of Apple and Microsoft and Facebook being the biggest companies in our world have actually done very well and, and benefited off the pandemic, ironically. So the stock market's no longer main street of the economy anymore. The second part of it is there is a fundamental value for anything, and we have to capture that somehow. Initially, when the pandemic was at its worst, the focus was how much would we lose in terms of earnings and how would we capture that in terms of for fair value of anything. But very quickly, when stimulus arrived, whether it be by people getting paychecks straight into their bank account in areas like the U.S., whether, in, whether it be interest rates reducing effectively around the world and including in South Africa, all of a sudden there was a, a counterpoint to the worst part of the, of the virus where, sure, people were staying at home, people were losing jobs, but there was a stimulatory benefit that was coming from a conscious global fiscal and monetary stimulus. And you have to factor that in, in into the pandemic and how it would affect company values. And it was a boon, quite frankly. And then the last part where we now get to the GameStop Reddit argument is, apart from fundamentals, apart from the economy, effectively buying and selling stocks in particular is a, an agreement between two people, an arm's length transaction. And if you and I have a view that a stock is worth $1,000, we're going to trade that stock up to $1,000, even if the rest of the world knows the fair value to be $100. And that's this new environment we're in right now when it comes to GameStop and Reddit. Before, we would assume that by the wisdom of crowds and everybody doing their work together and not willing to buy something that's too expensive, we would all together work together buying and selling something so that it achieved a certain price. All of a sudden, we have a collection of investors who are willing to forego the argument about fair value and simply hold something to take care of a market or a trading dynamic. It's completely new. They're not wrong, but someone's going to be left holding the bag, the last person holding it. <laughs> exactly. It's very well said, actually, Nishan, because you and I know that this is just a sideshow. The long term, if you look at a long term graph, you'll see dips and you'll see troughs and you'll see spikes. Uh, but in, in the long term, you know exactly what's going to happen. And, and that will be that equities will go up as inflation goes up and company profits go up and uh, the world carries on. So this is just an, an interesting sideshow for people like me who broadcast about it. Are all equities expensive, you say here? The first paragraph underneath that headline is as follows. If we try to incorporate our pandemic view into the framework for understanding company valuations, we can now determine whether we are in a bubble. I don't think we're in a bubble. I think we're over overpriced in certain areas, but I don't think we're in a bubble. Maybe GameStop's in a bubble. Maybe the silver price is suddenly in a bubble. Uh, but on the other hand, no, I don't think so. We have to come back a little bit in order to rationalise the the true value of certain asset classes. But otherwise, no, we're not we're not in a bubble. But we're certainly a little bit frothy when it comes to the upside of fair valuation. If you see what I mean. Yeah, it's well said. I think this last 12 months has been so volatile that you've almost gotten multiple mini cycles happen all the time. So you've had to be very nimble to understand the environment at hand. There were periods last year when we believed that markets were overvalued and had the potential to trade in bubble territory. 
But at that stage, the risks inherent in the market were significant. If we go back to October, for example, we were talking about tremendous second and third waves all around the world of the virus. We were talking about stimulus in certain areas maybe not lasting as long. The, the Republicans, for example, were trying to wind down stimulus efforts from a fiscal perspective in America. We had elections in the U.S., which could have been highly volatile from various perspectives. There were a lot of risks on the table. At that stage, equities looked more expensive than they had done. And we were concerned about the bottom falling out, equities falling 10 20%. You fast forward all of a sudden to January 2021, and a lot of those risks have turned. You've got a blue wave in the U.S., which is very positive for stimulus, etc. You've got a, a significant vaccine rollout. You could argue that the rollout won't be as quick as, as you thought, but it is that vaccines are hitting the ground as we speak. Um, so a number of the, the big risk factors are actually turning down, and that's supportive of equities. So your view seems to have changed quite quickly, but you have to start to capture in what's happening on the ground. You can't sit with your, your, your negative bias, even though things are moving around you. If you take equities as an asset class, which of course they are, uh, there are asset classes within asset classes. I mean, for example, the pandemic, the global health crisis has made certain companies even more valuable than they were before. And there was a momentum before for the tech stocks and the delivery stocks and those sort of companies. But at the moment, there seems to be a massive dislocation between those uh, those asset classes within the asset classes, I've said, and others. So yeah, I've, I've never seen anything like it. But again, is it just a short term phenomenon or is this is is this what's going to happen in the future? In other words, people saying, well, equities are one thing, but within equities, there are other things as well. It is how it's going to be over the last three months. So since November, when we had the vaccine news till late January, we had a significant uprating of stocks across the board. We call that market breadth. What percentage of companies are doing well? Yes. And that number hit about 90%. So in the latter part of the year last year, you could have literally bought anything and done quite well with it. Exactly. Earlier in the year, we saw significant differences between share prices, and that was good. Uh, my favorite example is Microsoft, because it's so it's so close to home. The, the example of no one ever used to update their Microsoft license. You buy one disk and keep it for 10 years. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the pandemic hit, and I know for a fact that Citadel and other businesses too were for the first time in many years upgrading to Office 365, getting onto Azure, the cloud platform. Individuals are doing it in their homes because of the pandemic forcing you to stay at home. So a company like Microsoft significantly benefited from the crisis. And therefore, that company must be different from everyone else. And initially did fantastically well. But in the latter part of the year, we saw a lot of what I would call lower quality companies start to do well on the assumption that the world is coming right aggressively quickly. I think that that market breadth needs to reduce. We're seeing some of it now. And at the end of the day, the highest quality, best companies for this environment will do well. And I think you're already starting to see some of that at least come February. And we think that that'll be the case through the year. Okay. So can you give us any ideas of the asset classes within the asset class that you are looking at at the moment at Citadel? Or uh, would you prefer to keep that private? No, no I, I can definitely share that. I think the market, like I said, rallied on almost everything in the latter part of the year. So a lot of ideas that you would have put on the table in 2021 with evidence that the fact of the fact that the world was slowly normalizing because of 
number of risks were taken off the table. Those sort of moved against you so quickly because the market seemed to have priced it already last year without all the evidence you have now. So some trade ideas would have been going into European equities and emerging market equities in particular, also financial companies, banks, as high quality as you can get, which is predominantly the U.S., all of those have unfortunately re-rated quite significantly. So the upside potential in them has, you have lost some of that upside potential by, by some margin, but they are still reasonably valued in the context of where they were last year when the crisis hit. So going offshore, the US, which hasn't worked for many for a long time, and we've been underweight that area, yes. is looking compelling again. Uh, and quite frankly, the US still holds its place in people's portfolios as a significant area to 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 be, participate in long-term growth. I mean, you talk about companies in the U.S., whether it be healthcare or technology, and quite frankly, these are stories that you could follow for the next 10 or 15 years. So I would go with a core portfolio of strong, high-quality names that you'll hold for the next 5, 10 years, and then balance that out with nice satellite ideas out in areas like Europe and emerging markets. So what you're saying is exactly what everyone says in the 20 years that I've been broadcasting. Take good quality companies with solid balance sheets uh, that pay dividends, that have a solid historical records, and occasionally have a look at other little companies or, or rather emerging companies outside of that universe, if you like. Uh, and so they, they orbit your core philosophy nothing ever changes Nishlan. nothing ever changes i think the people often say that but i think the way they position themselves often belies that that simplicity almost for a long time we were overweight equities global equities in particular overweight the us and quite significantly underweight the rest of the world which was europe and em mm. and that worked fantastically well for us and we saw a number of people try to tout the view that now is the time for Europe and now is the time for EM. We saw it at the end of 2017, 18, 19, and now we see it again in 2020. We held the view that the US by far and away had the best prospects for those years in, in continuum, as well as the fact that equities were the best asset class you could have held, vindicated by both. For the first time, we're now saying, look, now is the time to consider offshore equities. Um, so uh, there, there are many people who would have said these things for a number of years and quite frankly been wrong because they were trying to allocate across the pond into Europe and EM simply because there was a dislocation in prices. We're doing the same exercise that the art article outlines, which areas have the best future prospects. And for the first time in a long time, Europe and EM does have reasonable future prospects. Um, so our time to do that is now we haven't done it for a good five years already. Final question. Uh, in 2021, everybody said, thank goodness it's not 2020 anymore, but 2021 uh, has been my narrative for the first four weeks of this year. We're already in February. I've always said that 2021 will be as or even more challenging than 2020. Is this the year of asset allocation and stock picking, even more so than last year? Yes, it is. Some of the longer term effects of COVID-19 and therefore its effects on the economy, you'll only start to see in the calendar year 2021. A, a nice example of that is bankruptcies and liquidations. Typically, those are 12 months after the fact. Mm. So you're starting to see that number tick up now. 
Do I think that it's a systemic issue? No, but I do think there will be pockets of pain felt throughout the economy as well as in the stock market. I think the large cap stock market is insulated from it, given the businesses that sit there, but there will be pain in the smaller cap areas. I think asset allocation is important, but we have such a significant push by central banks in particular to keep interest rates low while there's no inflation impetus that quite frankly, from an asset allocation perspective, there isn't anything you can do with yields effectively zero or negative. You're effectively fighting to determine which equity market to invest in rather than which asset class to invest in. Previously, you might have gone for a hybrid like property, but the specificness of the virus has impacted property probably worse than anywhere else. So it's almost this fight for equities, weirdly. And the, the biggest risk that I would say is whether the stimulus effort reduces aggressively for some reason. If interest rates had to increase significantly over the next 12 months, that would be catastrophic and would warrant significant asset allocation changes. Yes. As it stands, that's not our view. Having said that, if we've learned anything for the last 12 months, things are moving so quickly on the ground that you have to be extremely nimble in understanding uh, the opportunities at hand. You say prophetically that we expect equities to be supported in the near term. But on the other hand, you did say, and I like this phrase, there will be pockets of pain. Nishlan, thank you very much for your time. That's Nishlan Govender, who's a portfolio manager at Citadel. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.